Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. You'll see from one Sunday to the next, it seems like um, most Sundays these days, that in, in the first part of the service when we're singing praises to God, that people just get up from where they are and make their way down here to the altar. Please always know that Every moment that the doors of this building are unlocked, the altars are open. There isn't an inappropriate time in the service to get up from where you are and come and kneel and pray. You can always, 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 always do that, okay? Um, It can happen during the music. It can happen during my preaching. It can certainly happen at the end of the service as well. Just know that these pieces of furniture are built for a different kind of comfort than the ones that you're sitting in. The ones that you're sitting in are helping you at some level to endure the length of a sermon. Who are we kidding, right? No, they're helping you to be comfort so that you can not be distracted from, from what's going on. But these right up here are intended for the comfort of your soul when it becomes so burdened that you can't sit still or that you can't stand still. They're built for the comfort of your soul whenever there's a joy or a gratitude that wells up so much that it just doesn't seem appropriate to keep that altogether hidden from the people of God. And so a little walk to the front and kneeling at the altar will communicate to some, oh, they're praying, they're praising, they're thanking. The folks who know you best know what you're up here giving thanks for. But just know that these altars are always open. And a church with well-used altars is in pretty good shape. Right? All right. Well, we're, uh, we're in Luke's gospel because we're taking a look at this whole business of prayer. And if we, I started a series last week on the business of prayer as, as really a family conversation between a father, God, and his children. I don't want to re-preach the whole thing today. You can check that out on the First NAS website if you click on media or if you subscribe on iTunes to uh, the First NAS podcast, lessons from First NAS podcast, you can find that there. Um, But suffice it to say that this, this section in Luke's gospel is Luke the physician, this, this orderly kind of guy who said, I need to write an orderly account so that other people who need an orderly account of the life of Jesus can kind of get a hold of who this Jesus character was. And this middle part of the book, for at least for a little while, part of chapter 10 and chapter 11, he's, he's kind of rounded up, Luke has, Jesus' teachings on, on prayer and brought them all together in one section. The problem is that the chapter breaks aren't good, so it starts in, in chapter 10, verse 38, and it makes its way down through chapter 11, verse 13. Just a quick recap, goes like this. It starts with a story of Jesus going into a family home for dinner, you know, just to hang out and enjoy one another's company. And one of the people in the house is so worried about all of the formality and those things that she's, she's getting wound pretty tight and upset at, at, at her sister for not helping. And Jesus says, well, the problem is not with her, but with you. Your values are upside down. She understands that relationship with me is everything. The next little bit of of Luke's uh, version of Jesus' teaching on prayer is some people coming to Jesus and saying, well, you pray differently than anybody else. Would you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus began 
to teach them how to pray by offering a, a model prayer. And lots of Christians down through the ages have learned that as the Lord's Prayer. And we've memorized that, most of us in kind of antiquated language. And so if, if you're just getting involved in the Christian faith right now, why don't, you, why don't you try to learn it with us? And I know it says thee and thine and those kinds of things, but let's put it on the screen and we're going to read it out loud together. And now listen, it's very important to me anyway, I think to God too, that we don't simply say a prayer. We don't simply recite a prayer because prayers are not for reciting. Prayers are for communicating in a family kind of way, with God who loves us like a father. So pray this with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a guide. It's not a prayer that Jesus said, you have to pray this one. You have to pray it with these exact words. He was teaching them how to pray, not what to pray. Does that make a little bit of sense? In Luke's uh, roundup of the teachings of Jesus on prayer, he next goes to a parable, which is not a, a, a true story, with, say, meaning that it, it wasn't an actual happening. It's a story with a point. And sometimes Jesus was just hoping you'd get the point, and at other times he would then very clearly state the point at the end. This one is one of those where he hopes you get the point And at first reading, most of us get the wrong point. Not going to dive into that too far today. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But then toward the end of this whole body of teaching, Jesus' teaching on prayer, Luke rounds up one of Jesus' teachings that says, I just want to make sure that you understand that God is a good father. He gives good gifts to his children. Sometimes some really mediocre and even crummy dads can figure out how to do good things for their kids. Well, God... Is a good father. He's always going to do good things for his children. That's the body of teachings that we're really just going to camp out in for the next few weeks. And it's probably a recap of, of uh, last week's sermon more thoroughly than I should have given it. Okay? But as we, as we look at Jesus' teachings, all of them, not just the teachings on prayer, it's kind of interesting because most of what Jesus taught was not original to him. Most of what Jesus taught that's recorded in this book was not invented by Jesus and completely contrary to all of the religious teachings of his day and age. How do we know this? Because we know that the Jesus who said, um, love your neighbor, didn't invent that. We can read back in the Old Testament where the people of God were taught, love your neighbor. When we read Jesus uh, addressing the issues of, of sexual purity, We know that he didn't invent that because we read the Old Testament and it doesn't say, make sure that you're sexually perverse. Jesus' teaching wasn't wasn't brand new. It wasn't revolutionary in those ways. Much of what Jesus taught had been taught previously by other ancient rabbis. But on occasion, Jesus would teach something that had all of the traditional listeners, traditional students, and traditional teachers go, now, wait a minute. That is not what my rabbi taught me. 
Now, wait a minute. That, in fact, seems to be the opposite of what my rabbi taught me. Jesus, are you sure? And when Jesus taught his first followers how to pray, the first two words hit like a hammer. People had never heard it before. It stopped them in their tracks so that I wonder how often Jesus had to repeat this guide to prayer because for the first little while, his people kept getting stuck on our Father. This was absolutely revolutionary because nobody in Jewish history had ever dared to call God the holy God, the almighty God, the creator God, the great ruler of the universe, the just judge over all mankind, Father. Jesus, however, went on and and took this thing even even, uh, a bit further to challenge this notion of a proper distance from God. He called him dad. And then he went all the way there to the place that made all of the men in the room feel a little bit too something. Because here was this grown man who, when he referred to God, called him Daddy. Daddy. That's, that's a level of intimacy that's, that's far different than our father. Hmm? Now, well... In, uh, this, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus begins by saying, Our Father. But he, he also refers to him with another qualifier. And he says, Our Father in heaven. And that's what I want to talk to you about for the, for the rest of our time together today, is this business of us having a Father in heaven. And there are definitely some advantages and some disadvantages to Jesus teaching us to relate to the God of the universe as a father who happens to be in heaven. And so I want to start today by, let's just say, some honest disclosure of the definite disadvantages of having a heavenly father, okay? Uh, it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable for me to speak about, but it'll be, that's okay, because it'll be uncomfortable for you to hear too. So we'll all just be uh, cozy together in our discomfort, okay? Um, you don't quote me on that. That might be like the worst cliff quote ever. We'll all be cozy together in our discomfort. Uh, yeah. Our <laughs> Facebook it. Just get it over with, okay? Dumb things Cliff says from the pulpit. Somebody should start a, a whole Facebook page, okay? Dumb things Cliff says from the pulpit. It'll get like three hits a week. and It'll be great, Okay. I don't have a book. Oh, boy. Remember that time Cliff uh, rebuked the traditionalist who yelled at him for not having a pulpit? That was great. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one of the disadvantages. Let's just go on with the sermon, okay? Um, disadvantages. There are disadvantages to Jesus saying, okay, this God that you've learned to revere, this God who's all-powerful, who created the heavens and the earth, there's a disadvantage. As as much as we like the notion of closeness and intimacy, there's a disadvantage to him teaching there's this Father who's in heaven, meaning that he's 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 over all, and we'll talk a little bit more about what the in heaven part means in a moment. But there's a real disadvantage to this business of Jesus calling God Father, and the problem is 50% of the human race. The problem is 50% of the human race. It's the 
the fathers, the earthly fathers, the human fathers, who provide the distinct disadvantage of Jesus referring to to God as father. And here's the deal. It's because the best fathers in the world are imperfect ones. Now listen, only if you're a dad do you get to say amen to that. Amen. Okay. Dads, let's just confess it. It's the case that if, if we work really hard at it, if we read lots of books about it, if we had good examples before us, we have never completely um, followed those examples or heeded the advice that we've been taught or that we've read, have we? Come on, dads, confess it with me. There have been times when instead of providing for the family, we were selfish and met our own needs. There were times when instead of being patient, we vented our wrath from, uh, that maybe should have been aimed at people at work. We aimed at it, our wives and children. There were times that instead of giving, we took, right? So the best dads, the guys who work at it the hardest, we still provide much of the great disadvantage of Jesus referring to God as Father because even at our best, we are still imperfect. And as much as we hope that our kids will kind of forget all of those imperfections, the truth is some of them stung and some of them went far deeper than that and and caused some real lasting damage to our families. And it's because of our imperfect examples that it then sometimes becomes difficult for people to say, God's a father? Fantastic. But if I'm going to go that far, we have to go farther. If if the good dads in our imperfection have kind of damaged our children's ability to receive the, 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 the God of the universe as father, then we must also admit that there has also been horrible, evil and cruel abuse. That not all, but some dads have carried out against their families. Understand, if you're here today, and all you have is a bunch of painful, um, hurtful, damaging memories of father growing up, If what you would like today is for me to quit using the word father because every time I say it, it hurts you a little bit more and seems to drive you a little bit farther away from the God of this universe, please understand, number one, you are not alone. Number two, there are people who care deeply about you. And number three, if you understand that the damage has gone deep enough that you just can no longer seem to find your way out of it, One of the benefits of having a church family is having folks who will listen and having pastors who've been trained a bit in pastoral counseling and who also can help make referrals so that you can sit with somebody who can help you effectively deal with the pains and the wounds of your past. And your church family and your pastors here at First Naz would love nothing more than to sit with you, to listen to you, to grieve with you, and then to begin to walk the path to blessing and forgiveness and healing. And I promise you that that is available to all who seek it. 
Imperfect dads have left an imperfect view of God. Cruel, abusive, evil dads have done far worse. So much so that at times I fear that there are people who are never going to be able to say, our heavenly father, without a... before they go on. Just understand that if you're in that place, there is a God who stands alongside you. His name is Jesus. He's a son. He's a child. He's not a father. He's glad as your older sibling to listen and to talk to God for you. There's a Holy Spirit who, uh, who isn't the father and he isn't a brother. He's other. And he can hear the deepest cries of your heart and translate them so that the, the creator God can understand your pain, your hurt, and your hope for healing. When the disciples said, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, well, do it like this. Our Father in heaven, he understands that some of us trip over those words before we can get to any of the others. And the church in today's day and age has to repeatedly, I think, admit that fathers fall short and God doesn't. That some fathers are evil and God never will be. Isn't that right, church? It's right. Yeah. Yeah. So if God's all-knowing, if he could see the future and the past at, and the present too at, at one glance like we teach, why would Jesus take such a loaded word And lay it on us. It's because the advantages of coming to know our Father in heaven outweigh the disadvantages, even the ones that are as deep and painful and hurtful as I've already mentioned. Now feel that for just a moment. Because if the pain that I've already mentioned is catastrophic and and damaging for a lifetime for some people, how good must the good be If Jesus, knowing the risk, knowing the disadvantage, said, okay, I'm still going to go for it. I'm still going to use it. I'm I'm still going to go there. It means that there is something so precious out in front of us that if we can lay hold of it today with our heads and with our hearts, there's going to be a great blessing for the people of God and a healing that can go farther than the damage of sin ever did. So, be hopeful until... We deliver the goods. However, we have to just confess, there's some deep disadvantages to uh, the business of Jesus saying that God is a father. There are, however, great and greater advantages. Because you have a father who is God, you also have a God who is your father. Let me put it the other way. Because God is a father, as Jesus described him, get this. Your father is a God. Now, I'm not saying your earthly dad. I'm not saying that that Noah and Faith and Luke's dad 
is a God. And what I'm saying is that the God that Jesus described in, in father terms, as maybe as though at first you think that was just kind of a metaphorical explanation of him, when you turn that thing around, the math teachers in the room are saying he's using the property of commutability. You're welcome, Jay. Um, Dina. If, if God is a father, then this one that you cry out to as our father is a God. The God of heaven and earth. Now feel it for a moment. This one that you pray to. This one that you have tried to believe in your whole life. This one that you've read about, this one you've studied, this one you've heard other people talk about, this one that you've sometimes believed in and sometimes doubted, this incredible God wants to be a father to you. And this father to whom you have cried out, to whom you have looked for provision, for comfort, and for healing, and for hope, He can deliver all of those things because he's the God, the almighty God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things that ever have existed and ever will. And the one that you say our, our father to is the God almighty of heaven and earth. You get to get a hold of the most powerful Intelligent, capable, loving, kind, miracle-working being in all of the universe, and you get to have him as a dad. You get to have him as a daddy. You get to have him as a father. Somebody's got to get a hold of that today, because I'm telling you, it's a life-changer. God is our Father, and so, so our Father is a God. And, and that, I need to unpack that just a little bit so that you can understand the blessings of having God who's a Father and a Father who is God. The first is this. If the one that you cry out to as Father is actually the God of heaven and earth, then he has a handful of things that he can use at his disposal to help you. All throughout Old and New Testaments, you will find two words that are used continually in reference to this God who we call Father. The first one is a Greek word um, called, um, it's pronounced exousia, and it means authority. The second one is a word, a Greek word, dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite, and it means power. The problem is in English, we use power and authority pretty much interchangeably, and the New Testament doesn't intend to. So we can say that, um, that the president has the power to hit the red button. Well, what we, we don't mean that he's the only person who has the physical strength to go. What we mean is that by virtue of our constitution and, and also of the way that our government has developed over the course of the last couple hundred years, he is the only person in our country, who has the authority to make the decision and then execute his will. Lots of people can do this, right? But only one has the the authority to do this. When the New Testament uses these two words, it uses them in reference to God. That because he's God, the Almighty, 
the maker of heaven and earth, he sits in the position of authority over it. And it means that he allows certain things to happen, and at other times, he causes things to happen, and he has the authority to stop things, to start things, and to allow things. That means that when you come to him with requests, you must understand that he has the authority to say yes and no. He has the authority to say certainly right away. And he also has the authority to say, you are going to need to wait. He has the authority to say right now. And he has the authority to be quiet. And say, I'll get back to you. Because he's in charge. Because he's the God, our Father. He's the God. But he also has this word that the New Testament uh, calls power that means the, the, the horsepower to get the job done. It's, it's the word from which we get our word dynamite. Dunamis, power, means it's the word from which we, we get our word dynamite. And it means this incredible, explosive uh, power and ability that we don't even translate into horsepower because it happens so fast and so completely that at times it can't even be controlled. And the scriptures use this word to describe a God who's willing to come to your aid. That's why the Christians have have written songs and, and waxed poetic about there is no mountain so big that God can't move it. Because we have heard and seen his dunamis, his his great power leveraged against creation on our behalf. Dunamis, explosive kind of power. And the Bible describes both authority and power to the God that you can call daddy. Here's the thing you got to know, though, because if I talk to you about God having power and authority and all you can think of is the abuse that you suffered when the power of your earthly father was leveraged against you, if that's all you can think of, that just makes God worse, meaner, and more frightening and more to be avoided than the abusive father that you may have grown up with. Maybe you didn't grow up with an abusive father, but once in a great while, you saw, you saw your father just come to the end of his ability to cope, and he lashed out at somebody. You can count on one hand the number of times that you saw the flash of his anger in this life, but you remember it because as a little kid, it made you afraid when, when dad would unleash his wrath. If that's the picture that you have of cruel, abusive dad, or even imperfect dad, and I tell you that God is kind of like your dad, but he has all of the authority. He can use the power however he wants, and he has the ability to get the horsepower to the ground so that it actually translates into change in your life and in our world. If all you've got is the bad pictures, then God is the worst old boy on the planet and to be avoided at all costs. So here's what you've got to know about this God that we call Father. He does have all authority in heaven and on earth. 
He has all power such that he created the universe. And he will use those two things like a daddy instead of a tyrant. He will use those two things like a daddy, not like a tyrant. If you ever had a daddy, even for just a moment, if you ever saw the, the, and experienced the picture of your father's love when you crawled up in his lap and you said, Daddy, can we? And he smiled and said, yes. Then you have, even if it's only this much of your experience, you have this much ability to comprehend what the scriptures mean, what Jesus meant when he said, you want to pray? Pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Because he has all the authority and he has all the power. But he will not use them like a tyrant over you. He comes as a loving being. Father, dad, daddy. How do you need him today? Father, dad, daddy. That's how he comes. With all the authority and with all the power. And willing to use them for you. Second advantage. We're almost done. Second advantage to Jesus coming, in, in, in light of all the disadvantages, the second advantage to Jesus coming and teaching us, if you're going to pray, if you want to start a conversation, if you want to start a relationship with God, start, it this, start the conversation this way. Our Father in heaven. Second advantage to that is this, is that since he's a father who is in heaven, he has a different perspective on life than you and I do. And advantage over your earthly dad? He has a better perspective than your old man did, okay? Okay, just so you know, I grew up in a part of the country where that was not disrespect if you referred to dad as your old man, okay? So I didn't intend any there. But he has a perspective that is better than yours and mine, and he has a perspective better than that of dear old dad. See, uh, as, as the Christian centuries have kind of peeled by, Theologians, people who have just made their life the study of God, they talk to us about, about two things about God. They're kind of, they're easy enough for us to get a, a grip on. And they're these two words that kind of stand and provide a, a tension, and the truth is found somewhere between them. And, and these two words are transcendent and imminent. As we're taught about God by theologians who study the scriptures, they tell us that God is transcendent, that he is beyond this creation. He's not a part of it. He's beyond it. He's above it. He, he sustains it. He created it. And he will change it at his will. And he can make a new creation if he wants to. He stands beyond this world in such a way that whatever change happens down here cannot exert an effect upon him unless he allows it. He's beyond. He's transcendent. There's, a, there's, there's some tug on the other end of the line. And it's this, God is imminent. God's transcendent away from, from the world, but he's also imminent. It means that he's really, 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 really close. He's actually right down in it. That's, we just came past Christmas season. Christmas season is totally about God getting into the mess with us. It's about God saying transcendent isn't enough. I must also be imminent. I must also be with my children. 
And so the God who, who created it all, who sits above it, who could, who could rule it with, a, with an iron hand, said, I'll go down and I'll get involved in it in such a way that I know the experience of those who live it. I know the brokenness of those who live it. I will stand in the puddle of their tears with them. And then I will pay the price for every evil that's ever been committed so that some of those Wrongs can be righted in this lifetime. And all of them can be righted one day. What is it that you suffered in this life? The hands of a cruel dad or whoever else. What is it that you've suffered? What was the unfair situation at work? What was the humiliating thing that happened at school this week? What is the private heartbreak as you lay your head on the pillow at night? The Bible teaches that this transcendent God of power and might wants to be right down here in the mess with you. And in this lifetime, he is going to fix some of those things. And in the light of eternity, he will one day fix them all. He says, behold, I make all things new. And all things means all of the things. What is it that's old and tarnished and broken and hurt and broken down, damaged, scarred, wounded, Seemingly destroyed. What is it? The transcendent God of heaven and earth came down here to take the pieces of that in his hands. Some of them he'll fix here and now, and some of them you're going to have to wait on. But while you wait, there is a promise that daddy has got it. He's got you. See, if we have a father, Jesus prayed, our father who art in heaven, if he just prayed our father and and he's just down here with us. He doesn't have the wisdom and, and the separation to make the hard decisions without being emotionally involved. But because he's in heaven and transcendent, he has that, that separation that it takes to make good decisions, even though sometimes they hurt some feelings. He can do what's best, what he knows is wisest and holiest and goodest. But because he's imminent, he can also feel the pain and enter into the struggle with us and and, and the scriptures make very, very plain that the Jesus who came at the will of the Father to experience all the brokenness of humanity, he now gets in the ear of the Father on your behalf and says, you've got to understand what they're going through down there. And, and, and they can't wait for forever for all of it to get fixed. Some of it has to be fixed now. Heavenly Father, bring your dunamis by the right of your exousia, your authority, get on it. And get some things done. Fix some things for these people. And the Father says yes. See, you can't, uh, you can't memorize a few formal lines and use them to force God to do anything. You can't obligate God by praying. I prayed the prayer Jesus did, so you got to not the way that it works. As we learned from last week and from the recap this week, that this business of praying, it's, it's a family conversation with your daddy. You don't have to know how to pray to pray. Listen, here's, what I should have, here's how I should have wrapped up last week's sermon. You don't need to learn how to pray. 
You need to learn what prayer is. See, if it's anything other than family relationship and conversation, then you need to learn all the tricks of how to do it. But it is only and perfectly and exactly a family conversation between you and your Father who is in heaven. I didn't have to learn the tricks for talking with my dad. I just had to crawl up in his lap. I just had to call his name. And he said, yes. And the conversation began just like that. You don't need to learn how to pray. You just need to learn what prayer is. And it is a family conversation between you and the Almighty, the transcendent being over all of the universe, who said, I can't stand to be that far away from you. So he entered into the muck, and he entered into the dust, and he entered into the mire, and he entered into the hurt, and he entered into the brokenness. He said, let's do this together. I'd like for us to to close the, yeah, hallelujah. I, will, I want us to close this service today with an opportunity for you to talk with the Father. Just have a family conversation. I'm not going to pray a bunch out loud because I want to talk to my Father just one-on-one. And so Ron's going to play some music for us. If you want to come kneel at the altar, you can do so. You want to sit where you are. Just you just you just assume whichever posture works best for you to not be distracted and to really connect with the Lord. And maybe maybe here are some things that you could talk to him about. Maybe there are some wounds, some father wounds from your past. Why don't you take those to your heavenly Father? Bring them into the light. Put them out there before him. Tell him exactly what happened and exactly how it made you feel and exactly what you would like him to do. Then why don't you just trust him with it? Because God has more wisdom than you. He He might take care of this thing the way that you suggest, but he has more wisdom than you and he might find another way. Could you trust God if you brought the hurts of the past into the light? Could you trust, if you could come that far, do you think you could trust him to use his wisdom and his ways? That might be something for you to talk to him about. Listen, talk to, talking to, to our Heavenly Father about the wounds from the past doesn't mean that we hate our fathers or that we're dishonoring them, okay? And that's why I'm not saying, hey, pray out loud. Why don't you just take these things, you, one-on-one with the Father. Maybe this morning you have a lot to be grateful for in the earthly father department because you have a dad who just, even with his imperfections. Man, he showed you the way. And it's, it's riding on the coattails of his love that you have been carried to the place where you can delight in having a heavenly father. Why don't, you, why don't you thank our heavenly father for that? Why don't you ask a blessing upon your earthly father for that? And you can pray to him about absolutely anything that you need his power to address because he has the authority to do it. Anything else that you need that's going to take the power of God to get it done, you can take it to him. He has all authority in heaven on earth and he'll do it. So Lord, we're going to just bow our heads and our hearts before you for a moment. Some of us will bow our knees. 
we confess our trust, our belief in you first, that you are the, the almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. You sustain this world by your mere decision to do so. All life comes from you. So you have authority over it. We want to invite you to use your authority and your explosive power to go to work in this world. Work in us, work on us if you need to. If you'd like, work through us to bring your change in this world. Some of us have some wounds and some of us have some hurdles, some wounds from the past. Some have hurdles out in front of us and some of us are just kind of stuck in the moment. We'd like to talk to you about those things. Lord, hear our prayers. Why don't we do this? Luke, why don't you put that prayer back up on the screen one more time? Let's remind ourselves we're not, we're not reciting anything. We're talking to the Father our Father who is in heaven. And let's pray as Jesus taught us. I'll invite you to stand with me, please. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. My friends, may you go in peace assured of our Father's love. Amen.